Hello again, and welcome to our Governing Health Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Peregrine. I think you'll really enjoy today's conversation because we're going to address a new board challenge that takes the concept of business disruption to a new and more refined level. By that, I mean the continuing viability of the traditional healthcare business model. For as our good friend Ken Kaufman notes, you can't win with yesterday's business model. And that's a lesson that boards should ponder because it goes to the heart of their strategic oversight duties. We've had a couple of years now to consider the implications of business disruption on the delivery of healthcare. And it suggests that the industry is experiencing a fundamental demand migration. At one level, that migration might be one we knew about from inpatient to outpatient levels of care. At another level, the migration might be more significant a push towards an entirely different and new business model. Who really knows? Well, one person who has some pretty interesting thoughts on the matter is indeed Ken Kaufman. As most of you know, Ken is chair of Kaufman Hall and one of the industry's most thoughtful observers on the subject of business disruption and strategic direction. And if you're not a subscriber to Ken's regular blog posts, you're really missing something. So I think you're gonna find this a fascinating conversation. Ken, welcome back to the program. Thanks, Michael. It's great to be here. You know, before we dive into this, I was looking at something other than the sports section today in the paper. A lot of news about Macy's. Is any relevance of that at all to our discussion today? Yeah, it looks like it's a uh, another uh, poster child for uh, what happens with disruption and change in business models. So, uh, you know, probably the thing that we want to relate to is that in uh, the fourth quarter of 2019, Amazon had, you know, what many thought were its best results ever, uh, had a 39% increase in, in activity on uh, on its uh, AWS uh, business. And uh, very interestingly, there were many comments about how its delivery service, which a lot of people just couldn't figure out how delivery service was a business tactic, but it now appears uh, from the fourth quarter results that the delivery service is really driving a lot of traffic to the Amazon website, um, increasing revenues and increasing significantly profitability earnings per share that occurred. Uh, if you want to contrast that then with the announcement that we, we just had in the last couple of days, uh, Macy's, which uh, operates 600 stores across the United States, announced that they'll be closing 125 stores um, and reducing their workforce by 9%. Um, and so, you know, I mean, if you just want to look at that with a, a tough perspective, um, Macy's seems to be melting away. And I think what we can conclude there is that Amazon has set the new uh, bar for what the business model is in 2020 and moving forward. And Macy's continues to try to execute their way out of this problem operating in the old business model. And it, this is one more example, just like Blockbuster and Netflix, is that if you're in the wrong business model, 
then finding a winning strategy in the internet economy seems almost impossible. Well, Ken, a lot of our listeners have been reading your posts over the years, and they're going to be thinking, I get this business disruption stuff. We heard you in 2018. We understand about the entrance of the Silicon Valley disruptors. We get the shift from inpatient to outpatient care. We've heard that message. What's different today? What's the distinction between business disruption and business model change? Is one related to the other? And if so, how are they related to the other? So you start with some kind, usually of some kind of demand migration, which creates a, a disruptive atmosphere in the provider environment. And that, that disruption and that migration then in turn produces a change in the business model. And when you get the change in the business model, what you have to understand is, is that you're not just trying to gain more market share or produce more revenue, uh, but in fact, the entire business model has, has changed in the way that you relate to your patients, that you relate to your consumers. The tactics and the technology that you need to do that inside the new business model. So in healthcare, what we're looking at is that in 1995, we had revenue total for all hospitals across the country, um, 70% inpatient, 30% outpatient. At the end of 2018, inpatient revenue has shrunk to 51% and outpatient is at 49%. And we actually have a whole number of very large clients whose that 5149, they're, they're actually, their outpatient revenue is up around 60%. Their inpatient revenue is already down to 40%. And then a couple of weeks ago, the American Hospital Association put out their annual statistical package. In that statistical package, there was one really important thing that stood out that everybody just immediately focused on. And that is between 2017 and 2018, for all hospital providers across the country, outpatient services actually declined. And that was the first time that's happened since 1983. Now, we all know, listening to this podcast today, that in 2018, outpatient services across the United States did not go down. That did not happen. We all know that. So what does that mean that outpatient services went down for all hospitals across the country between 2017 and 2018? What it says is that these other organizations that are coming into healthcare and, and developing delivery system models to compete against providers are actually now taking market share from the providers. And that is a very important canary in the coal mine moment because historically when we look at disruption and we look at, at change, you always look for that one statistic that begins to indicate that, that market share and market activity is going from one sector in the industry to another sector. And now we have that first major indication that that's happening. So many of our board strategic planning committees have bought into the concept of business disruption. They look to the Silicon Valley disruptors. They acknowledge now that they're legitimate competitors, and they have made shifts in their strategic plan to what they believe will address that competition. 
do they need to be concerned now that there is new data that says, hold on, that might not be enough, or we need to refine that strategy further? Is their strategic plan from 2018 no longer effective? What do you what do you receive from this new data? Well, it it isn't enough because the box is bigger. So so the notion that we're going to pivot from inpatient to outpatient, I mean, that's going to happen whether they pivot or not because the inpatient work's going away, and a lot of organizations have such you know poor payer relationships that they want the inpatient work to go away. Um, so as you migrate from the inpatient to outpatient work, you have to say, you know, do we approach delivering that business in the same way that we did when our when, when our inpatient work was 70%. And I think so, that's what people are doing. I, I, they're not really changing the way they're doing business. They're just recognizing that they have more outpatient work than inpatient work. So what do we mean by that? First of all, it's not a wholesale business, which is where hospital providers have been for 50, 60, 70 years. It's a retail business now. As soon as you have all of these patients coming into so many different outpatient activity and consuming it in so many different ways, it goes from a wholesale business to a retail business. And is that the connection with Macy's? Well, Macy's is a retail business, but it's operating a retail business okay, still in, 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 in a business model that's 20 or 30 years old. And so the way that retail gets done in America right now is, is not in that Macy's business model. It, it just seems at the moment, from, from, from my point of view, and I think many others, that, that, that no matter how, you know, when they reduce their workforce by 9%, they're trying to get that productivity revenue relationship correct. But it's, but it's a market demand problem. It's not a productivity revenue relationship problem. It, it's like it, it's, it's what do the consumers want and who are they going to buy it from? They're not buying it from Macy's. Now they're buying it from Amazon. It's an example, again, of a transitioning market, but trying to handle that transition and disruptive market with an existing and tired business model. And that's what Macy's continues to try to do, and they're not having any particular success in retaining market share or competing effectively with the way that Amazon has redefined the retail business in America. Let's go back to the data that you were focusing on and that important information. What is the message that you want board members to understand, especially those who have felt comfortable with their own organization's strategy and outpatient care? What's the thing that should drive them out of their seats with that, that data? Is that we are in a situation where disruption is developing from a concept to a actual business reality. So, so we've had all of these people circling around healthcare, United Healthcare, CVS Aetna, uh, all of the startups, One Medical, Oak. Um, so obviously at this point, all those organizations had conceptual understanding of what they were trying to do, and it appears at this point now that that conceptual understanding is turning into a market reality. So business disruption to business model is a cause and effect type of relationship. Right. We're on the strategic planning committee. 
let's take that the next step. What are the ramifications to a commit to committee members who say we thought we nailed this two years ago? Now you're telling us we have a greater problem. What do you mean by the old model doesn't work and the new model, and we have to be looking? Well, at you have system. to. So, so the mantra is access, convenience, and and affordability. That is that is the mantra of healthcare in 2020. You're either getting that right or you're not getting that right. My position would be that most providers across the country are not getting it right. So what's what's going on? Do we really what is what is access and convenience? If we have Jeff Bezos in this room and Mike you started asking about access and convenience, the way that he would talk about it would not have any relation to anything you would hear from any of your hospitals as you travel across the country. It's just, it's, it's, it's a completely different mindset, what he thinks. So why, you know, for instance, why is Alexa so important at Amazon? A lot of people that I run into just think it's a, a trinket, you know, it's interesting. But what Bezos believes is that people are so overwhelmed by by their notion of what convenience is today is they don't even want to use their iPhone to order things from Amazon because it requires going up on the site and then you have to click five or six times. Now, you can imagine, I mean, I'm a, of Medicare age, and so, you know, clicking five or six times doesn't seem to be a terrible bother to me, but obviously there's an enormous portion of the American and world population now that even for that is that that describes to them a level of inconvenience and Amazon realizes it so the whole reason that Alexa is around now is that you don't have to open anything you can just say Alexa order me diapers and then if you're on prime and you're eligible for 2 hour delivery those diapers could be there in 2 hours that's a historical change in, in the means of production and the relationship to, to a consumer, we've never in the history of commercial activity ever seen anything like that. So if, if you're a strategic, on the strategic planning committee, you have to think, how does our relationship to our patients, our consumers, how, how does that relate to what's happening in, in terms of how Amazon is pushing the business model? Do we have virtual capability? Do we have real virtual capability? Does that virtual capability work? How hard is it to make appointments anywhere in the organization? And, you know, if you called or got online and you needed to get an MRI at one place and they had no appointments, would they have the capability of immediately getting you an MRI somewhere else in the organization? So instead of driving to to Main Street, you drive to Oak Street. And, you know, I mean, I mean these, are, these are the kinds of things that the virtual organizations can do standing on their head, and most hospitals still don't get it. Most hospitals, and this is, is back to your Macy's analogy, are still in love with their bricks and mortar. There's, there's, there's simply no doubt about Even it. Even after hearing about the disruption from people like you over the I, last couple of years? There's no, there's, there's no doubt. And, and that may not be that true in urban areas, but in suburban and, and, and rural areas, the hospital really occupies a different kind of place in the community. It's like the high school. The high school and the, and the hospital are transformational organizations within the community that people relate to in a completely different way. And, and then when you get a tax on that where 
people no longer want to get in their car and drive anywhere to do anything, I think it becomes very difficult for many boards to really grasp onto this pivot. What's the relationship, Ken, to the role of the medical staff? So many of our medical staff leaders and colleagues are involved in governance now more than ever before. How do we accommodate this concept of discussing the potential for business model change with the physicians and the efforts that they have made uh, to respond to business disruption? Well, I think, I think by and large, doctors are having a really hard time getting their head around all this. We've talked, I think, before about now, near, and far. And of all the participants in the healthcare space, doctors probably have the hardest time visualizing far because every day they come to work and they work in the now. And so if you're asking them to sort of work in the now and continue to see patients the way that they've always seen patients, but then at the same time imagine what a new patient care delivery system might look like in the FAR, I think most doctors find that um, extremely difficult to think about and do. Um, but so, you know, you know, therefore you have to... Um, there's an educational component to this that's that's absolutely absolutely critical, and I've said this before. You you have to be talk. You know, if you're a hospital CEO, you have to be offering that education to your board. You have to be offering that education to your medical staff, and you have to do it over and over again. You can't just do. You know, we're now going to have a session on the new internet economy and how it affects healthcare, and then you know everybody goes away and think you know you have to go back and do it again. You have to talk about these things all the time. And in in having that conversation, what would be the key message points that you would say about what the what the data is telling you about the the migration of demand? What are the key uh, touch points that you would want the medical staff or the strategic planning committee members to be thinking about now so they're not overwhelmed by this? They need to think about how they understand that the critical way of remaining relevant and remaining competitive is focusing on access, convenience, um, and affordability, and then actually acting on it. Because we know, Michael, that basically the existing healthcare system has really had no impact on affordability over the last 20 years. So, you know, at that point we were like 15% of GDP, we're now 18% of GDP, with a lot of economists saying we're going to 20% of GDP. So we're not getting at affordability, and everybody is getting more and more upset about that. So the Democrats have their whole Medicare for all, and Trump is now talking about cuts to Medicare. He's talking about block grants to Medicaid, and block grants to Medicaid are basically cuts to Medicaid. We all know that. So there, is, there, isn't, there isn't any political party that's actually rallying behind the hospital business right now. And then when you see all of the negative media that goes on, you know, the Wall Street Journal. I mean, the Wall Street Journal is supposed to be a hospital's friend, right? I mean, isn't, isn't that from a political perspective? But they're, they've, they've been on absolutely attacking the hospital business left and right. Um, and, and so that is all being, all of that hostility that is coming from the political parties and that is coming from the media in my opinion, is all around how much a unit of healthcare costs in the United States. And, in, and, a, and that 
our constituencies, our political constituencies, our consumer constituencies, the media cons- cannot understand why all of us who help to run healthcare in America can't do something about this. There are those who will push back against this concept, I would assume, Ken, that they'll say the data isn't clear, the data doesn't support the model, we are not, our clients are our patients, we are not a retail business. If we change strategies every two years on the whim of data, we'll be out of business and no one will want to be on our boards. What's the response to that? Well, those those are fair observations. Unfortunately, those tend to be the observations of organizations that have been impacted very significantly in a disruptive business model environment. So, you know, you, those, those are very interesting things to say, and they're not easy to rebut because you don't, you're, you're not in a, you know, it's, it's, it's not a nuclear moment, right? And, you know, boards say, well, you know, I don't, I don't see the explosion. I'm out. looking out the window. I don't see the explosion. But how, from what you've just said, how different is that from the taxi industry? So when Uber came along, what did the taxi industry do? Did they, you know, they said basically the same thing that you just did. You know, this is, this is interesting, but people, you know, have used our services for 75 years. They're going to continue to use our services for 75 years. And what is all this app thing that you order, you know, and like in, in this convenience and access? And, 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 and then before they knew it, they, you know, the, the taxi companies were, were, were taken down by the disruptors and, and, and by people, you know, conversant and capable in a, in a technological environment. It's a good idea to overly take this seriously. To, re- to react with more alarm than the data itself or just the answer. Right. What's the harm of that? So, so because I have these same conversations, you've brought up a great point. I have those as I go around the country. I have those same conversations when I speak or when I'm at a, at a, at a, at a client. I mean, somebody will always come at it from the point of view. There's really no proof to this. We've had these kinds of conversations before. It always goes away in healthcare. It's too much you data. Know, and we're you, overreacting you, to data. You know, and we shouldn't. You know, there's there's you know there's no proof of concept, and we're not going to overreact to proof of concept. The problem is is that the internet economy is an accelerant for the direction of your business. So when you're on the right side of that technology, your business just gets better and better. And this is what we see from Apple right now and Google and and Amazon. When you're on the wrong side of that technology, you accelerate to your demise. So since we know that, and nobody can really, and and there's, you know, the same people you're talking to, they who are saying what you were saying, they can't, deny that's true. So, so why, not, why not set the strategy to protect yourself from that perspective? Now, I can, I'm going to answer my question. Why not? Because it involves some very significant change that's going to gore your cow or your pig or, you know, however you say it. it it's, you know, there will be income and revenue implications of making these changes, and boards are in my experience, are incredibly cautious about doing things that cause those changes within their community. 
if we're speaking to board chairs this morning or strategic planning chairs, it seems that part of the message is, yes, this is a slice of data, but it's an incredibly important slice of data. So at the very least, without veering off from your current strategy, whether it's in a subcommittee or a subgroup or whatever, stop, pause, take the time to, as you say, overly consider what the data is saying. Think about its ramifications. We're not suggesting a total junking of the strategic plan, but it's worth the time to consider what if this data is really making a more significant point than it otherwise might suggest. Right. And so, you know, the what what the data showed was that the that the majority of the decline from 17 to 18 in outpatient visits was in emergency rooms. So the emergency room visits were going down a lot of places, but what the data indicates if you're, you know, sort of correlating and putting things together, so those people weren't coming to the emergency rooms, they were going somewhere else, and the somewhere else they were going was not hospitals. So in other words, we, you know, all of the pushing that the insurers are making about, you know, don't go to the emergency room unless you really have to, and all of this, and, and just the cost of the emergency room is having an effect. Those people are, are falling out of the emergency room, but the hospitals are not catching them. And where are they going? They're, they're, they're either, I think they're going to two different places. They're either going to alter, you know, like urgent care centers that are not owned by the hospitals uh, or by other primary care or, uh, or other offerings from uh, a delivery system like United Healthcare, which is a very, very large delivery system at this point. They're going to minute clinics and, at CVS um, or they're not getting care at all because that unit of care was too expensive, and so they, they, they are going without care. And I think it's those two things added together that are resulting in the decline that we're seeing right now. I want a final point or a near final point. The speed, the rapidity of the change. If you're a board member, is there some value in saying, let's not overreact to the data? There, yes, there is great change. Why don't we stick with our plan, wait this out. We're supposed to reevaluate our strategic plan in a couple more years. Do we have the time to do that? Doesn't it make sense not to overreact? How do we respond to that? We all know that one of the biggest words in provider health care is incremental, and that organizations like to change incrementally. And they're culturally, their whole culture is organized around incremental change. And there's a real reason for that, because, because organizations are really afraid that rapid change could have an impact on the way patients are cared for. So if it's a possibility of going fast and reckless versus slow and sort of non-strategic, almost all the organizations in the country would opt for slow and non-strategic as opposed to fast and reckless. But the, the, the problem is, is, that, is that when you create the technology that reorganizes the commercial activity of any given industry, that that tends to be very fast. And if you fall behind there, what the indications of the history of the Internet economy are is that you cannot catch up. 
And we can come back to the Macy's Amazon example of, of Amazon got way ahead of Macy's on the retail thing. Macy's stayed with this historical bricks and mortar because that's what people do. That, that's just what boards do and, and what CEOs do. And then Amazon was going in a different direction, and they went faster and faster, and they made more and more improvements to the app, and they made more. And Macy's now is trying to have that kind of segment of their business, but they're finding it almost impossible to catch up. That you that you can't that you can't catch up. And so I think healthcare organizations have to be concerned about as we get these changes towards, and I'll come back to it again, access, convenience, and affordability, that if you fall behind, it will become very difficult to marshal the resources to catch up. And the data suggests that they are falling behind? The data definitely indicates that they're falling behind. I think that is that statistic from 17 to 18, the first time in 35 years that outpatient services have fall, have actually gone down um, in provider organizations is very, very significant statistic and should be taken completely seriously. It is absolutely an indication that important market share and important marginal revenue is now not going to hospitals but going somewhere else. And that's a message that it goes to the heart of a board's responsibility. If there is a flashing yellow light or even a red light that relates to the business, it's their obligation to sit down and consider it. Well, somebody has to be paying attention. I mean, either the CEO and the management team have to be paying attention and then guiding the board to that point of attention, or the board has to be saying to the CEO that, you know, we're not paying enough attention. And maybe that's the question. Maybe that's it's time for a conversation. Do we need a parallel strategic planning process? Do we need a subgroup? Do we need a See, I don't think you actually have a strategic planning process anymore. I think you're planning constantly. I mean, at, at Apple, they don't stop and have, you know, and say, oh, it's been three years since we did our last strategic plan, so it's time to do a strategic plan. I guarantee you that conversation never, never occurs at Apple or ever occurred to Tim Cook. They are doing the, It's constant. It's like, where are we? What do we double down on? What do, where do we reverse course? And they're evaluating that on a daily basis. So what does that say about the engagement required of board members, or at least those who choose to serve on the Strategic Planning Committee? You know, we've always heard that the audit committee is the toughest job in the world, and if you're compensating, uh, if you're a board that compensates its members, those are the folks who get the biggest uh, paychecks. Are we talking about a shift in terms of the importance of the the board level view for, of strategy is that becoming the the most critical I, I th function? I think being on a hospital board right now is is incredibly difficult. The issues are very difficult. The technical issues are difficult. You know, there's a lot of stuff going on that that, that people are not familiar with. You know, the learning requirements are are significant, but the amount of attention and effort that you have to pay. It has to be. If you're just coming to like 10 board meetings a year or some places only like have four board Absolutely. meetings a year, four board meetings a year, and then you ask, well, what's the communication in between? You know, what is happening in the C-suite and what does the board know about that? And and how does that all work? And, and you know, and, and, and how do we, you know, if we see things that require a change in course or different kinds of decisions, how do we do that? It's really hard to see how the pieces of the puzzle, Michael, are fitting together at this point. 
So maybe the suggestion is a couplefold. Focusing on the key data indicators that you identified, having a conversation between the board and management saying, here's a voice that suggests this is a really big deal. Let's talk about that. We're not shifting strategy yet, but let's address the possibility that change may be occurring, that disruption may be occurring at a rate that we're not capable of keeping up with in our present approach. And let's figure out whether that's a real data or not. And if it is, what do we do about that? What's the board management dynamic? How do we engage our constituents in that discussion? Is there still time to address it? Is, I guess, my last question to you. Well, for some places, that, that's absolutely the case. I mean, you have there is no blanket answer to that because the, the, mar the hospital market is so segmented right now that you have to figure out which segment of the market that you're in. And, you know, I won't use names, but if you're, you know, some downtown organization, you're completely full and you've got a balance sheet that's absolutely fabulous, yeah, there's lots of time to figure things out. If you don't like look like that, then the marginal impact of these changes that are going to occur are going to be more significant on your situation than there would be on somebody else's. The Alfred E. Newman approach to strategic planning might not work in this situation. Uh, no, probably hasn't worked in a long time. Oh, don't break, you break my heart. Ken Kaufman, thank you so very much. I think the fascinating discussion and the conversation that we're suggesting, the board, strategic leadership, management, sit down, talk, look at this data, and take it for what Ken suggests it is, an extraordinarily significant development. Thank you, Michael. Thank you. As always, Ken Kaufman has challenged us with the perspective that should prompt interesting conversations between the board and executive leadership on the pace and response to business disruption. As Ken is intimating, it's an issue that just won't go away, and we thank him for his thoughts. Thanks so much for joining us for today's episode of Governing Health. Be sure to subscribe to the full complimentary podcast series. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and YouTube. There you'll be able to stay up to date with all our future episodes and to re-listen to the old ones. Until next time, I'm your host, Michael Peregrine.